Good morning. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Welcome back. This is my first day with no baby. Daddy's watching her all day today. I know. It's good for him, right? Um, welcome back. We're so glad to see you. Uh, I met some new people this morning who have never been here before. So welcome if you're new. Um, we're glad that you are here. If you are not new, welcome back. And if you are not new, I encourage you to find someone new and bring them so that they can experience Tuesdays. Um, if you saw the Instagram and Facebook posts yesterday, uh, we posted about New Year, same God. Um, and I know with the New Year comes a lot of New Year's resolutions and changes. And I just want to remind you that coming to Bible study shouldn't be just a challenge, but it should be a lifestyle and reading your Bible should be a lifestyle. And so hopefully um, you can make a consistent effort to come on Tuesday. Tuesdays, get your face in the book with Shannon. If you can't uh, be here physically Tuesday, remember you can always listen on the podcast or you can also listen on YouTube. Um, I'm going to try to get them up a little bit earlier this year, hopefully by Wednesday evening um, instead of waiting till Friday. So you have a little bit more time during your week to listen and get caught up. Um, if you missed a few last uh last year, I guess now, um, go back and get caught up so that you are uh, ready and you're in the word with Shannon. Um, just a couple announcements. Life Church is actually hosting a day women's conference here. Um, you'll see it on the screen. If you want more information or you'd like to sign up in the lobby afterwards, uh, we'll be out at the table as well. Um, but it's from 10 a.m. to 4.30. They're going to have music um, and a speaker. Um, it's $40 and that includes lunch. I believe the deadline they'd like for you to sign up is January 16th. So you have um, today and then um, next Tuesday uh, to sign up. So if you would like to sign up for that, please support Life Church. It would be a great uh, day with a girlfriend or um, a family member, someone that you know. So support Life Church and sign up for that. It will be a great um, time just to get together for a spiritual makeover. I like that. Um, and then lastly, Shannon wasn't here in December. So we actually have a Christmas gift. So if you want to come up here, Shannon. Um these ladies have uh, given you a great Christmas blessing, and so there's some gifts, and then uh, there is a gift of money in here. So this Aww. is a present um, for you. I wrapped it for you all. Thank don't you. Don't worry, I recycled this. I probably need it after Christmas more than I needed it before. I don't know, but So that thank is from you. all of the ladies, and they just wanted to say thank you for your ministry and Aww. for your human. Thank you. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Hold on. I'm going to go put it over here, and then I'll be right back. Isn't she awesome? Yeah. I know. I've been praying for the, her for a long time. I met Taylor when she was a freshman in college. Um, I did Bible study over at Grand Canyon University, and um, man, we had fun back in that time. I love college girls. I, I say that about every age group, but I really do. I just, I love being with them and um, when she was a freshman, I drove to Grand Canyon every, I think, Tuesday, was it Tuesday night? Wednesday night? And uh, we would pile in this dorm room. It's when Grand Canyon kind of let me fly under the radar. You weren't supposed to have outside Bible studies at Grand Canyon, but they kind of turned a blind eye for a while for me. And I think we had, at one point, we had 85 college girls in that one dorm room area. And it was awesome. And Taylor stayed involved and she ended up being the leader, really, that did all kinds of stuff. She'd make them snacks and she'd have coffee for them and do all kinds of stuff. And she stayed so consistent until she graduated and stayed in my life. And I just decided I was going to keep her. And then she went back home 
and got her master's and uh, decided she wanted to be a teacher instead. Were you marketing at first? Communication marketing. And then, uh, but she's like so good at uh, English and writing and creative writing and theater, all kinds of stuff. She's very talented. And so then she decided to come back to Phoenix and she was teaching school and got married and had a baby. And I was like, huh, you want to stay home with that baby? And I, and I literally, I asked her the question. I'm like, Taylor, what do you need? Give me an amount that you need. Cause I know she just wanted to work part time at first. What will allow you to stay home? And she gave me the bottom barrel of what would allow them to stay home. And I'm like, I went back to my people and they, we were like, done. Because do you know how hard it is to find someone who knows you intimately, knows your personality, and she's sassy like I am? And so if she, she knows exactly what I would say in a moment, um, she's grounded. It, it's so good to be able to have that. And she can be me and y'all don't know it. You would know it if somebody else tried to be me because you would be like, Shannon is not that precious. She did not say it like that. You know, you would know, right? And so, but she's pretty good at it. And uh, she handles people so well. And she's able to boss me around, which I love. She's really my boss. I'm not her boss. And uh, she keeps me together. So I'm so thrilled to have her. Um, how many of you are glad to get back in the rhythm? Yeah. We need breaks, but man. I need to get back in my rhythm. I don't know about you. Isn't it crazy? You would think sometimes that this season would be the most spiritual time of your entire life. And sometimes you look up afterwards and you're like, I probably spent the least amount of time with the one the season is about during this season, because for some reason it just chews us up. It just, and, and you are so ready. At least I am this That season's very hard for me. I go dark, so I have to come out of it. So this is my favorite time to when I can kind of get back and we can get in a rhythm and work through all the holiday stuff, which can be very hard for a lot of people because we accentuate so many things. You know, I told you before, like family and all, and Half the people hate their family the whole year. But everything we watch is about family, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Well, for those of us who've lost family, it is super hard because that's all we're hearing in memories and traditions and, you know, that kind of thing. So when all of that kind of gets over, and it's not like we don't have special times, but when it's over, you're like... Whew, okay, and we're in the best section of Daniel to even talk about a rhythm because Daniel has the best rhythm to his life that we're going to see. And it's challenging me um, to get back in that. I have been off for a while to get back in that rhythm um, because that's just what he did. No matter if times were good or times were hard, Daniel had this rhythm and I appreciate it. And Daniel's busy. So the idea of us being too busy to get in a rhythm are you kidding me? He's one of the highest governmental uh, officials that we're going to find out, not only in Babylon, but in the Persian Empire. You don't think he's busy. 
And yet he has this rhythm about him because he knows that that the Lord is his lifeline. So we're going to look at that. But I'm going to review with you a little. Okay, Um, from Daniel chapter five, I'm just going to literally read through my notes of kind of where we were. And then we're going to go into Daniel chapter six, because that's where we're going. All right. Can I hand somebody this microphone? Because I don't know where to put it. Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity for me to have my face in the book. And um, how much I am reminded of who you are and the fact that you are in control. We are always reminded of that in this book. I thank you that Daniel didn't just preach that. He lived it out in front of us. He had this rhythm to his life. Uh, He knew that he needed that rhythm to keep his eyes on you. Because as an exile, he needed to be reminded all the time who is in control and what your promises are. And that one day you promised to restore the nation of Israel. And so three times a day, he looked to you and he gave you thanks. And he was reminded that you truly are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that you are over the empires of men. And so God, I pray that you would help us do the same that we would have a rhythm in our day where we're always reminded that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you see us, that you have not forgotten us, that you do have a plan of restoration, that we are exiles. And one day we will go home and we will be united together. And what a glorious day that would be. But if we have that habit of always looking to you, we will live in a posture of peace, in a world that seems very chaotic. And so, God, I just love you. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that I would teach this well. Um, And Lord, I pray most of all that one thing I, I say today just is a seed planted in the heart of the women here and that it will touch them in such a practical, personal way. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you remember where we left off? Belshazzar having a party. Big party. He decides that he is going to go get the golden goblets from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had placed in uh, the temple of his gods. And he goes and gets them, and they have this party. And what happens? A hand. Uh, that had been uh, lit up by the the candlelight that was there, the candelabra, a hand comes down and with a finger writes on the wall, freaks them out. We talked about all that symbolism last time about uh, the light and the finger of God, which also wrote the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that? Also wrote in the dust uh, with the adulterous woman. And, and go back. Don't, don't miss that one. Go back and listen to it. Um, but he freaks out. And what does he do? What do they always do? They call the wise men. I don't know why they still call them that, but um, they don't seem too wise, right? But they call the wise men, and we talked about how, man, why is it that we always go back to old cisterns, things that don't work, but we go back there until we absolutely don't know what to do um, because nothing else is working, and then we look to God. So the wise men, they don't have a clue. They can't read it at all. And then who comes in? The mother. 
the queen mother and reminds him of a man by the name of Daniel, who, how old is Daniel about this time? About 85-ish, somewhere in there. And obviously, he's not like on the scene. He's not uh, really in Belshazzar's mind. So somehow he's, he's kind of, I don't know if he's retired, but he's kind of off the scene for a while and he gets called back up, which reminds me as believers, what does the Bible say? We should always be ready to give an account for the faith that we have. You may think you're retired right now, but can I just tell you, you may think you're retired and God will call you up. And when he does, we are to always be ready. And so Daniel comes in and he comes before uh, Belshazzar and Belshazzar says, are you that Daniel? <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're that Shannon, right? Oh, I know who you are, right? Are you that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father brought from Judah, that Daniel, well, he had definitely heard about this Daniel, right? But what we also see is that he has very little respect for not only history, but for Daniel. Because what is he reminding Daniel? Oh, you're that exile that my father brought in. He's reminding him, really, you're no more than a captive slave that my ancestor brought in. You see the arrogance and the prize, the pride in Belshazzar. And so he's reminded, it's a racial slur. He hasn't been a captive slave, consider that since he was 15-ish years old and he's reminding him, this is who you really are. Do you ever feel that way? Like there are things in your past that you can't get past because people won't let you get past them. Oh, you're the, oh, you're that one. Oh yeah. I remember you. You got pregnant when you were 16. Right. And that's how it's always bringing you back to those things of your past or some slur. And in his pride, oh, I know you're that, that Daniel. Yeah. That exile um, taken by my father. You're just a captive slave. It's amazing to me why he would be so arrogant with the man that's going to have the answer to his question, isn't it? It lets Daniel know that he has been called because of his reputation and also because nothing else has worked. Tells Daniel that everyone else has failed, but if you can do it, you will be given riches and authority. At 85 years old, I don't think he cares. What about you? Right? He's like, and then he, his response, I love, I mean, his response is not disrespectful, but it's direct. And he says, uh, the king can keep his gifts. Right? Uh, Daniel doesn't want or need anything Belshazzar has uh, to offer. And sometimes I wonder, like, you know, when he says that you'll be third in command, do you remember that? Do you remember why? If I was giving you a test right now, would you pass? Why is, why can he only promise him third in command? Because Belshazzar's second. Remember, he is a regent put over this area, but it actually his father, uh, Nabonidus, is the king over the Babylonian empire. So he says, you can be third in command. But what he's about to tell him is pretty intense. So what good is it to be third in command of a sinking ship? Right? Because what typically happens to those in command of a sinking ship? 
right? Not so good. Yeah, you go down with the ship. And so he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the answer you need. But before that, since I hold all the cards right now, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Do you remember this? And you remember my rant last time about, you know, when I would tell my kids when you borrow money from me? Guess what? If I give you a lecture about it, you have to take it. Why? Because I'm holding the cards right now. You're the one in this situation. Don't come in pride at, and have an attitude with me when you're asking for my help. Listen, if you were doing everything right, you wouldn't be standing here asking me for this help. So let's talk through this so that we can learn. So next time, what? This doesn't happen. And so he comes and he's like, all right, but before I tell you this, I need to tell you the history and tell you basically why you're in this situation to begin with. And he goes through the history. Remember what he says? The Most High gave Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom. He wants him to understand that Nebuchadnezzar received this kingdom because God gave it to him because God is above and maneuvering the kingdoms of men. And so any power and glory that the great Nebuchadnezzar had is because God gave it to him. So he wants him to understand that. And then he says, and in case, you know, to remind you of the story, Nebuchadnezzar became arrogant and prideful. So God humbled him. How? He became a beast. His hair looked like eagle's feathers. His nails looked like claws. My nails look like claws right now. I don't know. Have y'all, do y'all need a, a manicure right now? I'm bad. Okay. But his nails look like claws. He lived out in the wilderness in the dew. And so he thinks what happened to him that God humbled him and he became a beast and he did this so he would understand that God is the true ruler over all. And then he turns to him and he says, Belshazzar, you are just like him. You are just like him. But the problem is you should have known better because you knew all of this. So you are even more responsible. You have blasphemed and you have mocked God who holds your life in his hands. And you knew all this, but you refused to humble yourself. So you can't plead ignorance. Ugh, right? You cannot plead ignorance. So he says, now, about the hand. Here's what the writing means. It means, mene, mene, tikal, and Parson. These would have probably all been written all together, all the consonants, no vowels. They would have not understood this, but Daniel tells him what it means. Here's literally the interpretation. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Mene, mene, numbered, numbered, two of them. There's lots of different speculation as to why it's double. It could deal with uh, just the poetic form of it, but it's numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. And then he explains, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. And he's bringing it to an end. You have been weighed on a divine scale and you have been found deficient. 
Do you realize that if all of us are weighed on a divine scale, apart from Jesus, we will all come up what? Short, right? There, the only good one is God. There is no one good but God for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this as, as we grow up learning the scripture. And so if we're all weighed, why? Because if we're on the divine scale, who are we being weighed against? Are you being weighed against me? No. Who are you being weighed against? What's the standard? Per- Jesus. Perfection. Be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I used to give the most disgusting example to high schoolers about this because I needed them to truly understand um, what this is like. Because most people, if you ask them about the standard or what would allow them into the kingdom of God, they would start talking about their life and works. And they would say, well, I've tried to be good. I've tried to love my neighbor. I've done, you know, and, and they would concentrate on works. And so in general, they're hoping that if they put their good behavior and their bad behavior in one bowl, that the good will outweigh the bad and they will be accepted. The part of that is that's so fearful to me is how do you know if you made it? What's the plumb line? There's a lot of uncertainty there, but I, I taught my kids this way and I know it's gross, but I would say, you know, picture this, Hillary is sitting at a table with a big old bowl of applesauce. She loved applesauce. She's about to eat this applesauce. And Zach walks down the stairs, if you've ever had a teenage boy, walks down the stairs and walks up and spits a loogie in her applesauce. You're like, that's gross. All right. Well, what's Hillary going to do? She's going to lose her mind. Mom, Zach spit a loogie in my applesauce. And I'm like, Hillary, it's just you got a whole bowl of applesauce. It's just one loogie. It's not a big deal. It's applesauce. How are you even going to know? And they're like, I go, just stir it up. It's not a big deal. And she's like, are you out of your mind? Did you hear what I said? He spit a loogie in my applesauce. And I'm like, Hillary, gosh, you're so dramatic. It's 99.9% applesauce. It's just one loogie. And she's like, what in the world? And I go, Hillary, are you telling me that one loogie spoils the entire bowl of applesauce? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, exactly. When we put our good and our bad in one bowl, You got a loogie in your applesauce. And even one spoils the whole batch. And if you think for one minute that you can serve that to a righteous, holy God, and that's acceptable, it's not. But the fact is, we all have them. And so God basically said, how about we just get rid of the bowl altogether? And he gave us his righteousness his bowl of applesauce, and it's pure, and we accept that by faith. I meet the standard because his righteousness is on my side of the scale. That, that is it. 
And in, in Belshazzar's arrogance, he thinks he, he's righteous. He thinks that he has been given this authority. He is a son of God, per se. And so Daniel is telling him, man, you got it all wrong. Your days have been numbered. You have been weighed on a divine scale and you have come up deficient. And because of that, your kingdom will be divided between the Medes and the Persians. You see, buddy, you have challenged the most high God. Who do you think you are? You've been partying out of his cup. He's holy. You have challenged the most high God and you lost. Did you notice when we were in chapter five, did you notice the difference between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar scenes and Daniel and Belshazzar scenes? Did you feel a difference in the, I don't know, the relationship? It, it is so interesting. In the interactions between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, there seems to be quite a bit of respect in, in both ways. Because Daniel seems to be seriously grieved when he brings Nebuchadnezzar bad news. And Nebuchadnezzar often ends when Daniel speaks to him with confessions about God. Right? And then we see the complete change after the fact that he uh, becomes a beast and bows his knee. We see a complete change. But you always see like a move. It's almost like a confession. He's always making confessions. You don't see anything about this with Belshazzar at all. But in verse 29, we see that Belshazzar kept his word and he gave Daniel purple robe and necklace and made him third in command. In one moment, Daniel came out of retirement, and now he's third in command. Um, verse 30 says, That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Daniel and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That night, it happened. Isn't it interesting that when Nebuchadnezzar became a beast, how much time did he get? He got 12 months. He got an entire year, right? That, that before he bowed the knee. Belshazzar, he didn't get 12 hours. That night, his kingdom was taken and he was killed. Listen, I love what Alistair Begg says. I, I love listening to him. He says, you have an unending soul and you have an appointment with the most high God. And guess what? We don't know when. I can tell you from experience, we are not promised tomorrow. We live life. We make our plans. My calendar is full, but I can tell you in one moment, your life can change and plans go out the door and the world stops. In one moment, you can have your day with the most high God. We are not promised tomorrow. We get lulled into this rhythm because the sun sets and the sun rises that tomorrow we are assured tomorrow, but you are not. And uh, we talked last time about, isn't it interesting how much over the last three years we have heard about the fear of death, sickness, 
Um, Everything you watch is about life insurance or medications with all these side effects. I mean, it's fear, 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 fear of death. You would think that the more we hear about death, the more we would prepare for it. But we don't seem to. And so for one, one may get 12 months. One may not get 12 minutes. And so we need to be prepared. That very night, the Medes and the Persians did the most miraculous thing. Because if you remember how I described Babylon, it was, they thought there's no way we're going down. So eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, there's no way they're going to penetrate this city. The walls were one of the two seven ancient wonders of the world. But guess what? They did get through. How? They dammed up the Euphrates River. Do you remember me telling you that the Euphrates River ran right through Babylon? So they would have had an endless water supply. They had an endless uh, supply of food and they had the protection of the walls. Well, guess what? They dammed up the Euphrates River while they were partying in the banquet hall and they turned the tunnels into more of a marsh and they walked through in the tunnels into the city and they conquered Babylon that night and Belshazzar was killed. And so it came to an end. And then it said that very night, Darius the Mede was given uh, basically the kingship over Babylon. Now, if you study this, Darius the Mede, it's very interesting because Darius was not the king of the Persian Empire. Cyrus was the king of the Persian Empire. And so this brings up a little bit of problem in history. There is no Darius mentioned at this time in any of the tablets of that period. Okay? But I also, I don't want you to get disheartened because for until a century ago, there was no mention of a Belshazzar in any of the tablets of history. And they knew that Nabonidus was the king of the Babylonian empire. So why does the Bible talk about Belshazzar? And then what do we discover about a century ago that is in the museums today? The tablets of Nabonidus. And guess what? They talk about Belshazzar. So I don't want you to wig out when all of a sudden someone says, well, there is no history of a a Darius the Mede at this time period. Two options most people believe. Either Darius was another name for Cyrus, which we see that quite often, or it was someone like Belshazzar who was given that position as regent. And so one of the thoughts is that it's a guy by the name of Gaburu, which is G-A-B-U-R-U. And he was actually known to be like a governor over Babylon, but he was the general who is referred to in the Nabonidus Chronicles that he was the general that actually conquered the city of Babylon. And so now he is reigning under Cyrus in this area. Okay, does that make sense? Um. Some people believe that to be the case because if you look at chapter 5, verse 31, it says that he received the kingdom. That's in passive tense, as if it were what? Given to him. 
And so that's not the way it would normally read when a conqueror takes over a kingdom. All right. And so they believe that it was someone like a Belshazzar, someone who was made regent of that area. Um, in Daniel chapter six, once again, we find ourselves back in a royal court. Do you realize this? The first half of Daniel is going to be really paralleled with the second half of Daniel. So in chapter one of Daniel, where do we begin? In a court, in the Babylonian court. Do you remember what happens? Daniel refuses to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. Now, he's had a great spirit about everything else. He's changed his clothing. They've changed his look. They've changed his name. They have re-educated him. But when it came down to the eating of the food and the drinking of the wine, which was a part of his covenant with God, his relationship with his God, when he is in that position to choose government or God, what does he choose? God. And when he did, he was vindicated. Remember? They allowed him because there was that whole test of please let us try this and see what we look like. And they were the strongest of the bunch. And so they were vindicated. Once again, now in chapter six, we have a new empire. It is the Medo-Persian empire. And once again, we're in a court, right? And what is going to be the situation? Daniel is going to refuse to obey the king's command about not praying to anyone but him, right? And he's going to refuse that, and he's going to be vindicated. And so we have this parallel situation starting. Okay, so let me just read through some of it. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, and because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Wow. In the first half of Daniel, we see an issue of values, conflicting values, operating under an absolute monarchy. Okay, here's what that means. In 519, when Daniel is describing Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar, listen to the description. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar whom he would he killed, and whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. Nebuchadnezzar regarded himself above the law because Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was an absolute monarchy. Darius had a different situation. 
Darius could not. He was in a constitutional monarchy. He was also subject to the law. Laws are enactments by the state for the purpose of upholding values. For them to be effective and to ensure compliance, they are normally backed up by a system of courts and police. All right? So you need to understand this is a different monarchy than what Nebuchadnezzar was under. In chapter 5, chapter 5 tells us about a written evaluation of a man by God. I have weighed you, and you have come up short. In chapter 6, it's going to tell us about a written human law, written by powerful men, to discredit a man of integrity. So we're going we're gonna to talk about this quite a bit. It didn't take long, did it, for Daniel to come up Darius's attention. I would love to know how. How did he not get killed in the process? Did he take that royal robe off really quick when they came in? How did it happen? Um, Was it through different interviews that he realized who Daniel was, how awesome he is? We don't know, but what we do know is he quickly rose to the top, just like in chapter one that he came forth and he was the best that Nebuchadnezzar had. And at this point, we see that he is already in the top three, which I think is hilarious since that's what Belshazzar promised him anyway, right? He got it in a different kingdom. This king was wise and shrewd enough to find out who the really able people had been in the preceding administration. I think that is so smart because most of the time when a new leader comes in, what do they do? They clean house. Well, sometimes that's good. Other times not so good because there were probably some pretty amazing people in the administration before and you ought to tap into that because they have the knowledge of the history and they have an allegiance of some of the people. And so he ends up Keeping Daniel, Daniel finds himself at the top. I love the fact that it says because of his excellent spirit, right? His excellent spirit. I would love to have known Daniel because we're going to find out that Daniel is such a man of integrity, but in no way is he a Pharisee. Sometimes when you meet people of just great integrity, they know it. You know what I'm saying? But every time we see him, His humility is unreal. And his empathy with Nebuchadnezzar, I just, I would love to meet him, but he was known by an excellent spirit. Why? Because I think he stayed attached to the vine. And what comes out of that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the spirit. The king is actually considering placing him over the whole kingdom. Now, my question is this, who did he tell? Who did he tell that to? Because the minute he said that to something, someone or someone overheard him considering that, they ratted it out. And when they did, we are going to see a conspiracy like no other. And they're going to jump to it. This set off a whole wave of Most people, when you read about it in the commentaries, they talk about jealousy. I think that is an element here, but I don't think that is the driving force. I think it's fear. And let me tell you why I think that. Do you see the end of verse two? 
chapter 6, verse 2. He put these guys, the three, at the top so that the king might suffer what? No loss. Could it be that Daniel wasn't one of the boys? That he had maintained his character amidst power and government? That he was the last person they wanted in charge because he wouldn't go along with their agendas? And they were using government to do what? Get rich. To have power. They were taking kickbacks. They were using that for their own good. And they realized that they could not do that if he was at the top of this government, that he would not turn a blind eye to what they are doing and he would not take a bribe. And so guess what they did? Well, they, I mean, look at our government. What do you think they're going to do? They joined forces in an attempt to find evidence to start one of the greatest character assassination campaigns that you have ever seen. That's what they did. They set out to discredit or to find some kind of dirt that they could have over Daniel so that he would play along with the boys club. That's what they did. These satraps were men of power and powerful men have a great means of finding information. It was as if MI6 and the CIA were put to spy on Daniel. This is what we're talking about. They looked at his taxes. They went through his social media. They read every text. They probably broke into his home. And I bet they interviewed every woman, if that was possible because he was a eunuch, but they interviewed every woman that had ever come in contact. Are you with me? You see what I'm saying? And guess what? They uncovered nothing. This level of personal integrity is rare. They concluded. Who concluded? His enemies. His enemies concluded this. He is faithful. No corruption, nothing they could use. What does this remind you of? His enemies declared that he is faithful. Remember a guy named Pilate? You remember what he said about Jesus? I find no fault in him. I find no, why, why are you guys wanting to kill this guy? There's no fault there. I tell you why. Because he's the light of the world. And evil men flee from the light and they go back into the darkness because their deeds are evil. That is why, and that is what is happening here. He was faithful in his job. He had been faithful to the Babylonian empire for 70 years. And now he is faithful to the Persian government. Corinthians 4.2 says this, it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. And Daniel had been a faithful steward. Are you ever just amazed at the scrutiny some of our politicians or judges have to go through when they're trying to get a position? When we watch our world playing politics, what do they do? They do all they can to find any skeleton in a closet. 
How many of you are so full of integrity that they couldn't find one? I'm going to tell you what, you open some, you open closets with me. Sometimes the skeletons will fall right on you, right? And they search. And then when they can't find anything, they create some on their own. Hmm. If we were under such a microscope, what would they find in you? Matthew 5, 16, such a good verse. Let's read it. says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your God who is in heaven. Who gets the glory for our good works? God does. Because if it weren't for him, anything good in us flows out of him. And so let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and give God the glory for it. Daniel's goodness, by the way, didn't win him friends. Did you notice that? Daniel's goodness won him what? Enemies. We should not be surprised. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In John chapter 16, do you remember what he says to his disciples? The world is going to hate you. Why? Because they hated me first. Right? They hated me first. And if you are living out that kind of life, they're going to hate you as well. And so when you are that light, many times you don't win friends, you can, also, you can win enemies. Obedience doesn't always lead to blessing. It may produce persecution. And honestly, if you don't get any pushback, I kind of wonder, Why? If you're no threat to the enemy, he leaves you alone. You're no threat. He's got you sidetracked in comfort. If you are a threat, he's going to push. And so sometimes that's why we say, consider it pure joy, my brother, when you go through various trials. Right? God loves you. Oh, I, I love this. I, I wrote this in my notes because I, I heard it my whole life. This, this quote of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. How many times do you hear that if you grew up in the church? God loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. But that does not mean that our lives are protected from any unpleasantness. So don't construe it like that. Yes, God does love you. And he does have a plan for your life. But that doesn't mean that your life is going to be free from struggle and trials and suffering. His life wasn't free of that. And so he is saying that to follow him, you will also pick up a cross. 
the picture of death. But we do it because he was raised from the dead. He, and we have that same glorious hope. But it doesn't mean here in America that if we honor God with our lives, that he's going to bless us with this great prosperity and comfort and ease. It doesn't happen that way. And so you need to understand Daniel was a man who was the light in this situation. But because of that, he also uh, gained many enemies and he went through great persecution. When they couldn't find any dirt, they conspired to get him another way. They knew he would not compromise his religious convictions. So they focused on the law of his God. I put, how amazing. What a testimony. What a reputation that they literally had to use the best thing about him against him. They're going to set a trap for him because that's the only way they can get Daniel because they know that this is the one area that he will not compromise on. So if they can back him in this corner, they got him. I would love it if that were my testimony. This is the only way we will ever get Shannon. We can't find anything in her life, which that would never happen. I'm just telling you. I'm just like you. So do not put, I may be worse than you. Do not put people on a pedestal because it's a long fall. It's painful. But I am saying, well, how wonderful it would be if they searched through a microscope and there was nothing that they could find um, to even lay a trap that the only way they could get me is they knew that I will not compromise on the laws of God. So they must set a trap in that area. And that's what they do. Everyone knew he was true and faithful to the laws of his God above all. From 15 on, it seems that Daniel never hid this fact. In the polytheistic Babylonian kingdom, Daniel proved faithful to his governmental authorities while remaining true to his God. Y'all, that could not have been easy. In moments, a few moments, the two conflicted and Daniel humbly remained true to his religious beliefs, as did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the statue? When it came down to that, pledging allegiance to government over all, they said what? No. Now the difference is, in that situation, that statue was erected because of the narcissistic quality of Nebuchadnezzar. But in this situation, this is a situation where wicked, powerful men are literally designing a law to get him. I mean, that's unbelievable. Lennox says this. I love this quote. I I, want to make sure I said the last thing again, though. They are manipulating law for a political agenda. That's what they're doing in this situation. They are manipulating. Now, laws should be based on values. They enforce the value. That's fun when it's our value. It's not fun when it's not. So let me just say that. But in this situation, what they're doing is they're manipulating the law for a political, personal agenda is what they're doing. There ain't nothing new under the sun, can I just say? 
So Lennox says this, a plan formed in conniving minds. They sharpened their claws, pushed them deep into the velvet glove of obsequious flattery and feigned concern to the king about the state of the nation. Oh, it was a brilliant performance, he says. The evil art of politics. They would force a clash between the law of God and the law of the state. That is what they were doing. They were forcing a clash between the law of God and the law of the state. Why? Because they wanted a certain man. Or they wanted a certain group of people. You can see this throughout history, by the way. What is happening really underneath the surface? It is the battle of good and evil. We are seeing Genesis 3.15 play out. Two seeds. Two kingdoms. This should not surprise us. There will always be conflict between God's people and Satan's. Between God's seed and Satan's seed. How do I know this and why do I say Satan's seed? Well, look what they did. Okay, watch what they do or what they use to lay this plan. But let me read. Um, Verse 6. Then these high officials came by agreement. Now, when it says come by agreement, that word also means what we would call conspiracy. All right? That's what it means. And, And maybe some of your translations say that. I didn't look at every one of them. But it is the idea of a conspiracy. Okay. Then these high officials came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Why do I say the seed of the enemy? What did they use to trick? Half-truths and flattery. That's how. Their approach, half-truths. What did they say? All the officials. Um, I can think of one that wasn't present. Who? Daniel. But can I just tell you how much the word all and everyone can be a powerful motivator? Right? Everyone is doing this. Listen, everybody thinks that. All and everyone. And somehow he missed the fact, so he's just assuming Daniel or he's forgotten about Daniel. Why? Well, because they then go to flattery. They appeal to his self-esteem. The intended significance of the new law is unclear. Presumably, Darius was not declaring himself to be divine for 30 days, nor was this a trial period to see if it would stick This, I believe, was a political move. 
a means of unifying the empire by identifying him as the sole mediator between the people and the gods. In other words, that he is the source of their every blessing. Do you understand what they're doing? They're preaching unity to him. Oh, this would be a great campaign for a month. It is a campaign unifying all of your people, which remember this empire is so diverse. But what we're going to do for 30 days, we're going to unify our empire. But to be quite honest, this isn't the definition of unify. Unity is when a diverse group of people come together motivated by one goal. And the cost and the blessing for unity lies with equally on all parties. Every party is going to have a cost to come together, but every party, everyone will have a reward when there's true unity under one goal. Does that make sense? Okay. So for example, if someone comes in your church and they're completely unchurched and completely diverse or from a completely different background, they may come in acting, uh, running amok and acting like you're not comfortable with, right? But in the heart of unity and loving Jesus and coming together, having that goal, you may be patient with them as they display their thing. And matter of fact, it may actually rub off on you. And so at the end of the day, we all gave a little, but we all got a little because that is unity. Is that, do you understand that? But that's not what they're after. Here, what they're after is actually conformity. And it's a good thing I'm ending here because I think this is good to think about in our world. Conformity is not unity. Conformity is when there is a repercussion, something that will happen to you, an enforcement if you don't conform or unify. Does that make sense? So all parties are not equal in the cost and blessing. One party is getting the blessing while another party bears the cost because they're being enforced to comply. Does that make sense? Okay, and that is what they're doing. But the point that I'm getting here is that all of that is bunk. That's not actually what's going on. They don't care about any of that. They really don't care about unity or conformity. That's all just smoke and mirrors to the king. What are they actually caring about? themselves and they are doing this to trap they're using the entire empire as a pawn to trap one man why because that one man can spoil their entire agenda which is about them and their power and their pocketbooks oh my gosh right Oh my gosh. Should I end with that thought? Maybe not. Hold on. (laughs) I put in here, interesting. I wonder what all was discussed. I wonder if there was any fear mongering going on regarding divisions in his empire and convincing him of the need for this 30 day show of allegiance. And shouldn't a king listen to his advisors? I mean, Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Haven't you ever heard you're only as good as your advisors? 
Yeah, you're only as good as your advisors if they're righteous. Right? If you surround yourself by yes men, that's not going to work. This is all smoke and mirrors. Not sure they care about the people. They care about the benefit to them. Remember, Daniel has been a man of unity his whole life. He has maintained his influence in two pagan governments. His reputation has been stellar. He is a man of integrity. Do you know what that means? Integrity means tethered to the law. Which, by the way, produces a great citizen. Daniel is the light, but they prefer the darkness. Listen, the closer we are to God, the better citizen we are. And when we get back, we're actually going to look at some of that. Because truly, to honor God above and to worship God, God desires that we are good citizens and good neighbors. And he tells us that we are to submit to our authorities. And you can believe Daniel has been doing that the entire time that he has stayed in influence in these governments when his heart longs to be where? Home. And we're going to see that. Are these stories not so applicable to today? Is the Bible not amazing? We should be walking out of here asking ourselves some questions. First off, do we have integrity? Are we tethered to the law? And that when I, I'm saying, when I say law, don't get legalistic in your brain, okay? Are we like Christ? Are we in the vine? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. I am the light of the world, so therefore you be the light of the world. And by doing that, does that mean our life's going to be easy and comfortable? No. We're going to have persecution. There are going to be hard times. And we may gain some enemies. But I think Daniel had a way of holding on to all that and still having such a beautiful spirit that people were drawn to him. And isn't that, that's the catch right there. How can you hold on to truth, but do it so wrapped in love, right? And I'm going to tell you what, grace is messy. It is. We don't always do it right. And so, but here's the thing. Daniel has a great rhythm in his life and we're going to see that. How about we have a great rhythm too? I have to stay committed to Bible study because I'm your teacher. I sometimes I would go, you know what? I would love that. I'd love to say, sorry, you guys. I got stuff I had to do. You know, I mean, really, I had stuff I had to do and it, it was just a rough day. I just could not get to Bible study. Really? We do that with Bible study. We do that with church. Let me, I got to confess this last weekend. I, if you're, if you need to leave, leave. This last weekend, I have lost my mind. Do you ever get out of rhythm and you think, I am a nut. I planned to go to church. I was running late on Sunday. And I thought, what time are the services on Sunday? Because I normally go on Saturdays. And I literally said, I pulled up like CCV uh, times or whatever. And when it pulled up, all I saw 
it said 11 to 12.30, but I didn't see 11 to 12.30. I just thought, oh, here are the times. And I thought, oh, oh, we have a 12.30 service? That's awesome, because I, I could not get myself together. I got dressed. I did the whole thing. I am walking up, talking to the greeters, planning to go to church at 12.30, and all of a sudden, church let out. And all these people were coming out. And I looked at them and I said, why are they just now getting out at 1230? And they're like, well, Shannon, because that's the last service. I go, are you kidding me? I showed up to come to church and it's done. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm going to have to watch it online. So I know things happen. But hey. Let's get our butts back in our rhythm for the new year because what we're going to find out is that this crisis did not reveal, it did not push uh, Daniel to God. That was his natural rhythm. And because it was, he handled crises. And he handled it with peace because he was tethered to, he was tethered to God. So let's do that. And by the way, I miss you when you're gone. And some of you think, I may not know your name, but I know your face and I know where you sit because you always go to the same seat. <laughs> so let's, let's be in this together. And you back row Baptist back there, I see you. I know when you walk in and you know what? I don't care if you're late. Let me make this clear. If you're running late, nobody cares. Get your butt here. Half is better than none. I mean, I don't mark you absent and give you So just come, okay? And bring a friend. This to me is the easiest way to bring a friend. It's not really church, okay? It's Bible study. And they're starting to learn that the Bible really has a lot to say to them and that they can learn from it. And as they get in it, they meet Jesus and it gives you great conversation to where you may not know how to speak about, but it starts a conversation because you're talking about a story and a narrative. All right, so do that. Bring your friends to Bible study. Let's pack this thing out and force me to have two. Okay, let's do that. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that When I teach, I'm actually learning from myself. And God, I thank you that Daniel didn't just preach it, he did it. And so God, I pray that you would convict me in those ways. Lord, I love you. I love these women. You love them. And so God, I pray that we would be a light to our world in 2023. And Lord, we would always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. And Lord, more than that, we would always be ready for the day that is our day to meet you. And Lord, I am so thankful that you sent your son because I know good and well, if you pulled out that scale, I would come up deficient. But you have given me your righteousness because you paid my debt. You did what we could not do. And you gave me what I could never earn as a free gift. How in the world can I not have a life of joy knowing that? And Lord, you are showing me every day how to have joy and tears at the same time. That we can be exiles and we can have sorrow because we long to go home, but we can still have an excellent spirit and we can have joy at this time 
as we look forward and we, we uh, turn our face towards our homeland and we pray for restoration. But in the meantime, God, we say, here am I, Lord, use me. I love you. You are so worthy of praise. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray that you would calm our fears when we think our world is the worst. It is falling apart. We've never seen anything like it. And we look back in history and we see people living their time thinking my world is the worst. It's falling apart. There's nothing like it. Lord, you are above the kingdoms of men. You have a plan. You are putting it in motion and it leads to the restoration of your people. Let us have hope in Jesus name. Amen.